Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, in this episode, I didn't have my mic on, and so I totally screwed up, and so if my audio sounds bad, that's why. Nick wasn't nice enough to tell me, but we have Jason Bay back on the show. He's the man at Blissful Prospecting, and he's taking you through everything from gatekeepers to how you write your emails. Why should people listen, Nick? Well, you just said it. We talk about working with gatekeepers and assistants to book the meeting, a formula for objection handling, and then Jason's got some killer subject lines in his emails that are going to get them opened. Stick around. Three, two, one. Bad sound quality. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Jason, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. 
Yeah. So number one is using deconditioning to overcome call reluctance. So I think the problem with call reluctance is most of the advice is just get over it, right? Just do it. And you know, that helps a little bit, but there's a four-step process that you can use real quick um, that people use in therapy, they use to overcome addictions, et cetera. And I find it really helpful for call reluctance and that's identify the pattern. You've already done that. If you've identified, you feel call reluctance, pinpoint the trigger. And this is where you need to get really micro and specific with what is the thing that I do? What is the thing that I'm feeling when I start to feel reluctant to call this person? Is it I look at their LinkedIn profile and I tell myself, you know, this person seems really busy. I would totally be bothering them. I'm sure they like have this taken care of. So pinpoint that trigger, whatever it is. And then the third step is to derail and do the opposite. So if it's that internal story that you're telling yourself, it's, well, instead of making it about me, let's make it about them. I wonder how I could help this person. I wonder what kind of problem they're running across. It'd be good to call them because I'm really curious. And then the fourth part is to practice. So make repetition of that, make it a habit, all kinds of apps you can use for that. You can use a piece of paper, whatever it might be. Uh, so that's the first one. Cool. What's number two? Number two, uh, the courtesy call technique. So this is something that one of our boot, uh, people that participate in our boot camps came up with. I thought it was pretty cool. And it's if you're running into a situation where you're trying to get a hold of a decision maker and you don't have a direct dial or mobile line, you've sent them three or four emails, they've opened them, but no response. I can put a courtesy call in and talk to the assistant. And that might sound something like this. Hey, Nick, Jason was blissful prospecting. You know, I have like just what might feel like a totally odd request because I'm calling you out of the blue and you don't know who I am. But I've been trying to get a hold of Armand and I noticed that he's just been opening a lot of emails that I've been sending him. And I wanted to put in a courtesy call real quick to see if he had any questions. Is that something you might be able to help me out with? That's cool. We're going to have to talk about that one. Round us out, Jason. What's number three? Number three is build your own permission-based cold call opener. So I think everyone's pretty familiar with like upfront contract Sandler style and everyone's saying, hey, Jason with Blissful Prospecting, no, I'm catching in the middle of something, but do you have 30 seconds? I can tell you why I'm calling. You can let me know if you want to keep chatting. Well, that feels really rigid uh, to a lot of people that we teach that line to, and that line works really well. But I think you can have a little bit of fun with it and use your own permission-based opener. And the formula is empathize plus specific time ask plus permission. So an example of that might sound something like this. I'm calling Nick on a Monday morning. Hey, Nick, I know I'm catching on your Monday morning here and I imagine you got a lot of meetings planned for the rest of the day, so I'll make it quick. Do you have like a minute I can tell you why I'm calling and then you can let me know if you wanna keep chatting? So that empathize part, like be a little bit more in the moment. Hey, I know I'm catching you in the morning here. I know I'm catching you on a Friday afternoon. All right, now you probably weren't expecting my call. Anything that you can talk to that you think the prospect is thinking, then build in that time element. Doesn't have to be 27 seconds. Doesn't have to be 30. Could be a minute. Could be 28 seconds. Whatever you want to use, right? Whatever feels comfortable and then ask for permission. So I want to go back to the middle one. When, when you're saying like, hey, he's been opening my emails a lot. I wanted to see if you could help me figure out if you had any questions or if I could be helpful. What do people tend to say? Are they just like, I don't know, call that guy? Or do they just sort of like try to throw you off the call? Well, it's sort of a mixed bag. What you're going to get with this approach is a couple of things. I would say half the time when I hear people uh, execute this in a call recording is if you pull it off correctly at the beginning and you tell the person that this might sound like an odd request. I know I'm asking you for something. You don't know who I am. Like you're kind of calling out the objection that they're thinking, right? Like who is Jason, right? And then tonality is really important there at the end. Like you need to ask for help. And what I find when people work with assistants, you know, some people call them gatekeepers. I'm a fan of calling them assistants is that they don't ask the person for help. They just tell the person what they want, or they ask a person a question without getting some buy-in around like, is that something you could help with? So if you do it like that, most of the time people are like, yeah, I could help you out. And they'd be like, well, hey, do you mind sharing his extension or is there a better way to get a hold of this person? 
And then what you might have is you might have people say, well, hey, did you try his email? Have you emailed? Uh, did, does he know that you're calling him? Do you guys have a meeting? You're going to get all the other common objections, but I find more of the time you're going to get help from the person than you are going to get an objection if you do it in this way. I want to talk a little bit about this working with the gatekeeper assistant, whatever you want to call it. So let's say it's the first time you're calling somebody. I'm trying to get a hold of Armand. And what I was taught as a new salesperson was pick up the phone, Jason answers, and I say, hi, could you please connect me with Armand Farouk, please? And then I shut up and I don't volunteer anymore. And then I hope that they transfer me through. And about half the time I get asked, what is this regarding? And what I was taught as a new salesperson was to not disclose anything because the gatekeeper is going to find something to latch onto and reject. And so I'm curious, was I trained wrong as a new salesperson? Are there other techniques or approaches that you're finding to partner with this person to get put through? I don't think that that's wrong, actually. I think that's a really good first thing to try. So if we kind of step back and look at the framework, I kind of look at like, you know, the why behind this is we need to work with this person. So let's get out of this, like they're a gatekeeper. Their job is to keep me, you know, salespeople away and I need to go around them or be manipulative. Like let's actually treat them as a human being. Art Sobchak wrote a book, Smart Calling, really big fan. That's, that's sort of his thinking. And so there's two parts. I look at, there's an introduction part of talking to an assistant. And there's also this like gathering insider info, I call it. So like, how can I use this person as a way to get a little more insight into what's going on? So with the intro, I do two methods. One is the assumptive method that you did. Hey, Nick, Jason with Blissful Prospecting, I'm calling for Amon. And if you do that in that really assumptive tone, a lot of times they'll just push you right through. But what happens in most cases? You probably get the person's voicemail. So what I'll do is I'll call back again. Hey, Nick, Jason with Blissful Prospecting here again. I got Armand's voicemail and I was wondering if you might be able to help me out with something real quick. It's that asking for help part. And they'd be like, yeah, like what's going on? And then I'm going to be really transparent. I call it removing the surprise. I'm going to be very transparent with who I am and why I'm calling. So Nick, again, my name is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. And the reason I was reaching out to Armand is personalization. I was on his LinkedIn profile. I noticed that you guys are doing a ton of hiring. It looks like something he really cares about is getting his team ramped up quickly. And that's a problem actually that I hear with a lot of companies like yours that I thought he might want to hear a little bit more about how other companies like his are you know, dealing with that. And like I said, you know, I sort of calling you out of the blue here, but do you think you could maybe help me get a hold of Armand? Like, what do you think is the best way to get a hold of him? So I'm going to ask for help. That's the kind of the piece that connects the intro and the insider info part. I'm going to ask for help and I may or may not get an objection. We can talk about how to handle the objection in a second, but there's three things that I can get from this person that are actually incredibly helpful. I can confirm contact information. So if I get the person's voicemail when they pass me through, I'd be like, hey, I, you know, I got the person's voicemail last time. Is there a way in case I get disconnected or want to call next time and, and, and not bother you? Is, is, does he have an extension or a mobile phone or anything like that? I can confirm the email address, right? So those are things that I can confirm. I can also confirm if he's the right person to talk to. Hey, Armand, you would probably know better than I would. Is there anyone else that would like really care about you know, the problem that I just talked about, anyone else that would really care about something like that or might be a better person for me to talk to? What do you, what do you think? All right. You're asking this person, you're transparent, you remove the surprise, and sometimes you're still going to get turned down or rejected, or there's going to be some resistance. And so I guess my question for you is what, what are the common forms of resistance you're getting when you do that remove the surprise approach and how do you circumvent it? Yeah. So uh, I have a framework for this too. So I, I want to step back and like, I, I hate rebuttals for objections. I think like having a stock response is like, it doesn't feel very good to the, to the person that you're talking to. And I, I find that to be really ineffective. 
So the way that we look at objections is like three parts. We want to do two things. We want to empathize with the person and then validate. So we want to call out what we think that they are feeling or thinking or where they might be coming from. And then we want to let them know that it's okay that they're feeling that way. And then once we do that, that's going to disarm the person. And then we can go into offer mode. Offer mode is an ask for next steps, right? So when we're doing this, person might ask, uh, well, hey, does so-and-so know that you're calling or is this a sales call? Any, any one of those. Um, hey, totally valid question, Nick. Uh, you know, sounds like you're a little curious about like, hey, am I someone that might be calling and wasting, you know, our month's time? Totally valid concern, by the way, because I'm sure you get a lot of calls like that. I empathize with you. I validated that it's totally okay that you're suspicious about me. But what I was hoping and, you know, wanted to ask you is like, would it be a bad idea if maybe I told you a little bit more about why I wanted to you know, get a hold of Armand and, and you could let me know if he's even the best person to talk to or if there's a different way that I should maybe go about getting a hold of him? Is that, is that, a, is that cool if we do that? So if you treated every interaction with Nick first, what's Nick thinking? Let me talk to Nick and where he might be coming from. And, and then I can ask for what I want second. Well, I forget who said it. It might have been Josh Braun, but nobody in the history of sales has ever changed somebody's mind forcefully. You can only get people to think that it was their idea in the first place. And that's really what you're doing is you're taking it in and you're doing a lot of push-pull. And so we got the objection that's most common handled with gatekeepers, which is, no, like I don't take sales calls or anything like that. The other really common one that you tend to get that I'd love to hear your framework for is when people say, no, the best person, the best way to reach that person is over email. What do you do when somebody says that? Hey, totally understand. And I imagine that the last thing you want to do is, you know, have someone, you know, call Armand uh, when he didn't ask for them to get a call. So I, I think that's totally understandable that you would prefer that I send an email. But if it's cool with you, I got a, a quick question. I've just, I've tried emailing him three or four times and he's actually been opening up the emails. And I was wanting to know is, you know, is there a way that I could at least put a courtesy call into him? Maybe that's just leaving him a voicemail or getting an extension, whatever you think would be best. But is there a way that I could at least put a courtesy call in? Because a lot of times uh, people have questions when they're opening up the emails. What do you think? Is that something you, you could help out with? Dude, and they may shut you down again, you know, after that. But that's kind of like a version of like that courtesy call technique that we went through as well. Um, but I'm trying to, the, the thinking here with objections is like, how can I empathize with them to disarm, you know, that first? And how can I kind of almost put the work on them, like put them to work to help me figure out how the best way to get a hold of the person is? Jason, you just mentioned voicemails, and I'm curious if you have any specific framework around what you'll say when you get someone's voicemail. Yeah, the, the way that I like to do this is I, I follow the reply method framework. So this is the same messaging framework we use for emails for when we talk about the reason for our call in a cold call or voicemail. And reply is an acronym. It's relevant results. E is for empathy. P is for personalization. And that's kind of the messaging part of the reply method. And then you kind of go in that opposite order. So you go personalization first, empathy, that's the problem. Why am I reaching out? People like you are dealing with this. And then the results. So voicemail is, hey, Nick, was reaching out. I was doing some research on you, found this. A lot of times what I hear in this case is that this is sometimes a problem and we're actually helping companies like A, B, and C uh, solve for this problem. I wanted to share a little bit more about how you might be able to benefit from some of that information. And the call to action at the end is the really important part. I always direct them to an email. So uh, no need to respond to my call. Actually, I'm about to send you an email and the subject line is, hey, Nick, just left a voicemail. I'm going to send that over to you right now. I got a video in there 
or I got a link to a case data or have this piece of content, whatever it is, I'm going to, I'm going to create a multi-channel experience for the prospect. We talk about multi-channel experience all the time, do multi-channel email call LinkedIn, but we have to think about how we're creating a multi-channel experience that feels multi-channel to the prospect too. So another subject line that I like using and a guy, Joel shared this in our bootcamp is a uh, voicemail from Jason Bay. So it almost looks like an email notification that we got a voicemail, right? And I'm about to send you an email. It's going to say voicemail from Jason Bay in there. That has a pretty high open rate as well. So I'm thinking, how can I use the voicemail? Because the common complaint I hear is no one's responding to my voicemails. They never call me back. Well, don't make the purpose of the voicemail to get a call back. I don't know about you guys. Do you ever get callbacks from cold call voicemails that you leave people? <laughs> never. But that doesn't mean they don't listen to them. And, and also people get them transcribed. You know, a lot of people have a, a, some sort of thing set up with their business phone, especially they just emails them the transcription of the voicemail. So I'm thinking about like, how can I get this to read like an email? I've heard other people use like a permission-based type of opener or transition and that type of thing where they say like, hey, when you look at that email, would you mind just replying no if it's not interesting or yes, if it's even moderately interesting to you guys. And then you at least get them going towards an answer versus just saying like, hey, open my email and tell me if it's interesting, right? Hey, if that works, I, I'm all about it, dude. I haven't tested that personally. Like what I'm thinking is like, so the L part of reply is laser focus. And part of laser focus is one call to action. So I'm going to have one ask every interaction that I have with a prospect. So my ask is take a look at my email. I don't like asking, well, take a look at my email, then decide if it's a good fit and respond yes or no. Like I try to remove as much friction as possible. That doesn't mean that that technique doesn't work though. I just, you know, like anything else, test it, you know, see which one you like best and see which one gets a better response. You know, do you have any thoughts on after you leave this voicemail, how many voicemails, how long do you leave voicemails? Is it just one? Is it three? Is it five? Yeah. So, so kind of the bigger question here, I think is like sequencing and like, what's the best contact strategy. And there is no, there's no magic recipe for it, but I could give you some rules of thumb. So a good starting point for sequences and all the data will show you this is, you know, 12 to 15 touches over three to four weeks, typically, or four to six, if you want to spread it out a little bit you know, across two to three channels. So email plus phone plus social, you want to do at least email and phone. So the weekly cadence that I suggest starting with, if you're kind of starting from scratch or you're just kind of doing it random right now, is you do a triple touch first. So on a Tuesday, let's say you do phone, voicemail directs to email, and then you do LinkedIn connection request. And then on Thursday, you do email follow-up and then you call and you don't leave a voicemail. So if you followed that same pattern, that's five touches, right, each week, and it could be a Tuesday, Thursday, maybe 48 to 72 hours apart between those two, and just follow that same pattern for three or four weeks. And then you can start looking at, if you're using a sales engagement platform, where am I getting my meetings from? Are people responding to the emails? Are they picking up my calls? You know, et cetera. So I'm leaving one voicemail per week. And then the common complaint I get from that is, well, well, hey, that's a lot of emails, right? Like, what do I say in all these emails? Well, the sequence, what you can do is think like each week, I'm going to focus on like one big problem that this prospect might be having. Email number two is just going to be any thoughts, any thoughts, Nick, any thoughts, question mark, Jason, right? I'm going to push people to try to look at that first email. My voicemail is going to be all about the messaging, 
and that email. So I'm thinking about like, how can I repurpose this message across different mediums, voice, maybe it's in video, email, and I'm going to follow up and I'm going to point people back to those things. Another thing that I hear sometimes from people too, is like, well, won't they know in the voicemail if I say the same thing that the email said? No, dude, they're not paying so close attention that they opened up your email and they're like, oh, dude, Jason, like the message sounded very similar in the voicemail as the email. That's actually a good thing. Like think about with Nike, the most popular brands in the entire world in marketing, it's rule of seven. And it's actually probably more like rule of 10 or 12. Now you need to see an ad at least seven times for products that you want to buy. That's how much exposure that you need to it. So don't pretend like you're more popular than Nike, right? Like people need to hear the message a bunch of times and it's okay to recycle. You're not going to sit here and read off your email like an idiot, right? You're not going to be like, hey, and Armand, I was reaching out because I saw on LinkedIn, yeah, you'll be a little conversational about it, but the same core part of the message, you spent all of this time researching, repurpose it because they probably don't even look at the first email that you sent them, like get as much mileage out of that as you can. So one of the challenges I've heard people who sell something like what Nick sells, just ERP, is when you do a million different things, it's really hard to get somebody's attention by just piecemealing one problem at a time because you're like, shoot, what if I feed them the wrong problem at the beginning and I don't get to the problem that they have in, until the seventh email? And so the counteraction to that is everyone wants to throw everything in that first email. So do you have any recommendations on how you stack rank those problems or the order in which you present those problems to your customers or prospects? So I think you need to adjust the messaging and be a little agile, right? And don't say, I'm going to lock myself into the sequence. If you start making calls and you try this stuff out and the person's like, no, I'm not having that problem at all. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, don't lead with that problem in your first email then, right? And you could also ask for feedback in the cold call. Um, Hey, dude, sounds like I totally missed the mark, Nick. Is there anything that you wouldn't mind sharing? Like, is there something I could have talked about? Or is there a problem that you are having kind of related to this that like would have grabbed your attention? Is that something you'd be able to share or help me out with? And like, try to get feedback from prospects too. But be agile, like be willing to change up your sequence and the messaging and the order and treat it like a test experiment where you're gathering data and using responses back from prospects that you get through emails and what you hear on a cold call to change up your messaging. Jason, can you talk a little bit about the actual structure of the body of your email because sometimes I struggle if I try and put too much into an email it can be like this wall of text and so I'm curious what is the what is the the structure what does it actually physically look like yeah hey Nick personalization empathy relevant results call to action that's the messaging structure for every like your cold calls your voicemails etc if we want to kind of break this down a little bit the personalization is going to be two parts I need to pick out something and then I need to talk about why it's important and it needs to be relevant. So it needs to be connected to what you can help with and then also something they care with about. So what I think about with personalization, um, one thing that seems to really connect with people is how can I make this value-based? So how can I figure out what does this person value? So it needs to be relevant, needs to be specific. So the specific part is if I could copy and paste this first two lines and send it to another prospect, not specific enough. So it needs to be specific to them. And the third part, it needs to be repeatable. So data uh, engineers is another persona for another client. When I go on their LinkedIn profile, I look at the list of accomplishments in their work experience. They always brag about all the money that they were able to save or data that they're able to, like, I'm going to look for that every single time. 
that part's repeatable. So that's how you achieve personalization at scale. Is it relevant, specific? And are you finding the three to five most common things? And do you have snippets built out? Saw this thing, looks like it's important to you for this reason, or looks like this, right? Saw this, looks like that. Come up with that snippet. Um, so create some repeatability there. And what I'm curious about is in terms of like the length of the email, you've got personalization, you have the other pieces that you're talking about, like how many paragraphs, how long is the actual email itself? Yeah. So with emails, a good rule of thumb is uh, less than 120 words. So keep it short, keep it sweet. Um, I would say if you could do it in three to four paragraphs, that would be good. And paragraphs being one to two sentences a piece. One paragraph personalization, one paragraph to talk about the problem, one paragraph how you can help, quick call to action line. Perfect. And so at the beginning, you have your personalization sentence. What comes after that? So there's kind of like three layers of problems that I uh, talk about. There's at the bottom, if you think of it like the problem pyramid is what I call it. At the bottom, you have business problems. So these are things like that affect top line revenue, they affect profit, or they increase risk for a company. Those are the three things that every business cares about when you look at it in broad buckets. But if we say, hey, we can help you solve the problem of not closing enough work, like it's so generic, right? If you, if you have a revenue problem or like we can help you reduce risk, it's very generic. So with those business problems, the layer above that on the pyramid is job-related problems. So these are problems specific to your personas. Another challenge I hear is personalization at scale. Uh, so I could say, hey, a, a challenge that I'm hearing with sales teams right now, like yours, is that they want to do personalization at scale. But the challenge is that it takes way too long for the reps to do it, and it ends up impacting their activity targets, and, and they're not hitting their meeting numbers because of that. And that's a good segue into the relevant results. would love to share with you how a few other SaaS companies that we're working with are accomplishing personalization at scale or doing personalization at scale. Here's a quick article if you want some help. I, I like sharing content like that. Or it could just be, hey, would love to share you know, uh, what they're doing to make sure they keep their refs productive when they're personalizing, but still making sure they're hitting their meeting targets. Would it be a bad idea to hop on a call and chat about it further? Or would it be a bad idea to talk further? Interested in chatting, any, any sort of call to action like that. So on the relevant results, a lot of people are saying, oh, increase this time or increase meetings booked by 33%. Are you bringing in hard numbers from case studies there or are you keeping it simple to, Hey, we solved this problem. Uh, oh God, this is like the thing that, that bugs me also about the content out there is like, I feel like people are so extreme with one or the other, like people buy with emotion and they justify with logic. That's been proven like with psychology and like consumer buying behavior. So let's have both of those things in there. But I try to refrain from sharing too many percentages and increase in cost because when we talk about relevant results, you know what's really hard is when I help company A and B results, it's hard to know that company A's results of increasing pipeline by 20% or whatever, like how is that applicable to company B? They might already be crushing it. Maybe they just want a 5% gain. That's what they need, Right. And it's hard for other companies to conceptualize, oh, you help them increase their meetings output by two to three X. Well, that sounds really crazy to a lot of other companies. They're like, well, our reps are already doing five meetings per week. You're saying you could do 15. That sounds so unrealistic. You know, so I think you need to be kind of careful with that. 
All right, Jason, we've hit it all. We've talked about working with gatekeepers and assistants to get through to your prospect. We talked about objection handling. We even hit on some best practices for voicemail and email. So it's time to move to the final question. And the final question is different from when you were last on the show. We've got a new final question here. The new final question is, what is one thing that sales reps should be doing outside of their sales job to get better at selling? They should either go to therapy or study people uh, that go to therapy or talk to people that go to therapy or watch a YouTube video on it and have basic one-on-one level knowledge of like how a therapist works with their patients and the people that they work with. In doing that, uh, what you're going to really figure out is like how you feel about stuff and being able to like label your own emotions and like talk about how you actually feel about something. And in doing that, that's kind of the first step to understanding how other people feel. So you're going to be thinking about, hey, how is this problem making Nick feel right now? How is it impacting him? Like, it's that habit I talked about at the beginning, you first, me second. Like, going to therapy made that a habit for me. But talking to a therapist or going and talking to people that have gone to therapy or just doing some light research on YouTube or podcasts, listening to some some of that stuff is what I would highly, highly recommend. Love it. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Yeah, I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. So yeah, Jason Bay, Blissful Prospecting on LinkedIn. I post content every single day, every weekday, at least on prospecting. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's, that's the best place to connect with me. All right, everybody, go connect with Jason on LinkedIn. Check out Blissful Prospecting. They're doing awesome stuff over there. And hang on for a 60-second recap. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jason Bay include, number one, ask the gatekeeper for help. Don't just try to push them aside. Don't be a jerk. Say like, hey, I noticed this person's been opening a ton of my emails and I wanted to see if you could help me out or or see if they needed any help here. Number two, whenever you're sending voicemail, okay, don't send these super long feature voicemails. Say, hey, Nick, I'm going to send you an email and it's going to say voicemail by Jason Bay in the subject line. Would you mind taking a look at it? Simple, one call to action. Number three, 12 to 15 touches over three to four weeks. That is the standard for sequences. And you can also say the rule of seven, 
People need to see your message seven times for it to really be understood from a marketing standpoint. And then number four, build snippets for every single trigger. That's your personalization part of your email. 120 words max in the entire email overall. Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, Jason was on 30 Minutes to President's Club on episode 15 as well. And he talks about using tactical empathy. We don't talk about empathy a lot on this show because it oftentimes is very fluffy and soft. But Jason talks about how to actually practically use it to impact the things you'll say, write, and do with a customer. So if you haven't listened to that episode with Jason, go back to episode 15 and listen to it. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.